Welcome to With Heart and Wonder. This is a place for us to explore heart-centered living and to celebrate what it means to live with wonder, with awe and appreciation for the possibilities that are within us and around us. I'm Megan Johnston, and I am truly so honored and excited that you are here. Let's dive in and journey together. Welcome to episode 31 of With Heart and Wonder. My name is Megan, and I'm so excited to share today's episode with you, which is a recording with Christy Tending. I hadn't actually met Christy before, but she reached out to me about coming on the podcast and chatting all about self-advocacy. It seemed like such a beautiful moment in time to be having this conversation. So Christy is an activist, an educator, a writer, a self-care mentor. She teaches rebels and people pleasers how to create sustainable self-care. In this episode, we talk about the difference between self-care and self-advocacy. We also talk about this particular moment in time that we are in and invite inquiry into how to bring self-advocacy and, and what Christy calls essential life maintenance into your days as we come into the fall season. And especially as we continue to navigate all that is happening in the world around us. So let's dive in. Welcome, Christy. I am just so thrilled to have you here today. And I am so excited to dive into this conversation around self-advocacy today with you. And I think it's going to be really rich, especially as we are moving into this, this fall season and this moment of time that we are in right now. And I would love to get us started if you could just share a little bit about you and what has led you to be so passionate about self-advocacy. Well, thank you so much for having me. First of all, I'm really thrilled to be here and to be chatting with you. And I have a kind of an unusual story, or maybe this is something that a lot of other folks relate to too, but my particular blend of stuff is is maybe a little bit unusual. I I really started out as an activist and got involved in activism in high school doing um, all sorts of social justice types of work. And I was, from a young age, I was a really big like nature lover. So I was an environmentalist and I was a horseback rider. So I loved animals and I have this big soft, squishy heart, which means that I'm, I'm just naturally really drawn toward, um, being a part of a cause and and making the world a better place and so activism in high school was this really natural fit for me and continued my activism through college which is how i met um people who are really still my best friends you know they weren't people i went to college with but i found my activist community in san francisco and you know these are the people i ended up i ended up marrying another activist we have an activist housemate um activists in our wedding, all of that. So I had this really strong activist foundation. And at the same time, I was also starting to navigate a lot of mental health issues and chronic pain issues. So I turned to yoga and meditation for that. And yet I found myself kind of bouncing back and forth between those two things and, and felt like I was ultimately going to have to pick one. And and so I would, I would dive into these really intense periods of activism, and then I would get really burned out. And then I would turn to my yoga and meditation practice, and I would kind of recover from that. And then I would dive back into my activism. And ultimately, about six or seven years ago, I really just threw in the towel and I was like, enough is enough. I refuse to choose. I'm just going to embrace both at the same time. And that's really where I started my, my self-care mentorship uh, practice and teaching online courses about things like meditation and self-advocacy and spiritual practice, but really through this lens of social justice activism and really aiming myself towards serving people who are either in caregiving professions or roles or serving people who are looking to make some kind of change in the world. 
Wow, I am so intrigued actually between what you shared of this feeling this tension between your kind of world of activism and and yoga and the spiritual and, and bouncing back and forth and feeling like you were going to have to pick one, but then actually coming to this place of bringing the two together. And I'm so intrigued for a few reasons. First, because I think that that is so needed. It is so needed both for the um, the the activist and social justice community to to have tools for uh, for care, for deep care and and recovery and tools that connect to to the spiritual. And also, I mean, we're seeing so much in in yoga and meditation and the spiritual world these days of a of um, a real need and conversations around needing to incorporate more social justice work. So I am, I'm really interested in, and I wonder if you could speak a little bit more to like, what was it about like feeling that these two things had to be separate? Because I think that's something that a lot of people who are in one of those circles might be able to relate to. Yeah, I think so one story that always pops to mind for me is I was in a yoga philosophy teacher training. So we were learning how to convey and teach some pretty esoteric concepts within yoga philosophy. And I remember sitting in a class and and we were talking about nonviolence and and basically the the instructors, we had a guest instructor that day, and the instructor's point of view was that only people who do violence experience violence, which I simply know not to be true as somebody who has been a social justice activist as long as I have. That's just, it's just false. Yes. And and I, I brought this idea up of, you know, systemic violence and and systems of oppression, not just individual acts. And I said, you know, how can you believe this when, you know, pardon for getting dark, but like when there are black children being murdered in their beds by police officers, like how can you possibly believe that? Absolutely. How can you possibly believe that when, you know, I have friends out in the street who are protesting and they're getting tear gassed while they're sitting in their wheelchairs? You know, like how can you possibly have this point of view? And, and I remember in that moment really feeling super unwelcome in that space and really unsafe as somebody who has, who has worked in social justice activism as long as I have, I, I felt A, belittled and B, gaslit and C, just really unwelcome. And I really made this decision that if I was going to teach any of this work in my life that I would never ever make somebody feel like that, that I would never disregard somebody's lived experience in that way. And so that's kind of story number one, where I felt unwelcome and just decided that if I was ever going to be a teacher of yoga or teacher of meditation or of these philosophies that I would never put my students in that position. Story number two is really it's not really a story. It's more of a, an inkling that I started developing a few years ago where I looked around at all of my activist friends who were all super impressive, really bright, generous people who are strategic thinkers and are really, you know, tough negotiators when they're in the room with, you know, corporate CEOs and out in the streets and really taking a stand. And I noticed that Folks in that world were so good at advocating for everybody else. They were so great at advocating for their cause and so terrible at advocating for themselves. And they weren't having, you know, honest conversations in their own relationships. They were not sticking up for themselves in the context of a toxic work environment. They were, you know, they were not giving themselves the same thing that they were giving the movement. And that, I started to kind of look around me um, and, and and look at these organizations and just really recognize that like something needed to change and that we needed to bring more of this kind of soul care and collective care and self-care into this work 
if we were going to be able to continue to do it effectively and strategically. Yeah, absolutely. Those are two really powerful <laughs> stories. So thank you so much for, for sharing those. Yeah. I am. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about like what, like, let's talk about, I know you position a lot of, of your work. Um, and we were chatting a little bit before we started the recording today, uh, about the course that you actually have, um, that you're running right now on, uh, the art of self-advocacy. Can we chat a little bit about this, this terminology, self-advocacy? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And, and let's go from there. Yeah, so the art of self-advocacy, like most good things in my life, came to me while I was in the shower. I was the mom of an eight-month-old, and I was really struggling. And I was struggling for two reasons. I was struggling because, A, being the mom of an eight-month-old is really freaking hard, and it was nothing in particular about my child specifically. It's just really hard. And I was struggling doubly because I was judging myself because I'm standing in the shower thinking to myself, man, I do not have it together. Like whatever this is, like I'm waving my arms around wildly, like whatever (laughs) this is, this is not working. And I was really judging myself because I'm thinking to myself, I do this for a job. Like this is for all intents and purposes, like my career. So the fact that I don't have my self care together, the fact that I'm not able to take care of myself in a way that feels meaningful and truly nourishing, the fact that I'm not able to resource myself in this situation, it really felt like a personal failing. And as with most things, when I see something as a personal failing, I start digging deeper because I usually think this can't be just my fault. There have to be systems at play that are working against me in this context. And, and what I recognized was that like my, my self-care, quote unquote, as I had conceived of it before I had a kid, was either not available to me, not working, or was simply not something I was interested in anymore. You know, I would, you know, go to a museum night with my friends and it's like, I have an eight month old at home. Like, first of all, I'm not going anywhere. And second of all, I'm not going out at night. And third of all, like, that's just, it's just not possible. And it doesn't even really feel interesting. And what I realized in that moment was that I didn't need self-care. I needed self-advocacy. I needed to talk about my needs to other people. I needed to set better boundaries. I needed to have more courageous conversations where I was telling people around me that I was struggling and I needed it to be more of a relational practice and not just something that I would do in my spare time or in order to recover. Um, It really wasn't even something that I was doing by myself. Um, And I think that that for me is the distinction. And and so that's where self-advocacy came from. It really came from this kind of like, dark night of the soul in my life where I was like, whatever that was before is no longer working and, and I need to create something new. And that's really where the idea came from and where the course came from was me kind of unraveling all of these things in my life. Um, and, and, and I'm, and I'm super proud of it because it really, it has, it's really worked for a lot of people. And it's something that, I think we were talking about this before, like, it's hard for me to pick a quote unquote favorite thing that I teach, but this is probably my favorite. When it, um, when it comes to self-advocacy, what does that look like? Like, are there some kind of central pillars or tenons or, or things that we can think about when we're shifting from a self-care approach to this more relational self-advocacy approach? Yeah, so one of the things that we start with in the course that is really kind of foundational is starting with your mission statement. It's really starting with like, what are you really here to do? Who are you really here to be? And how do you want to show up for that? 
And, and so for me, self-advocacy is really about kind of reverse engineering who I want to be. So I'm figuring out who I want to be, and then I'm figuring out how do I actually get there? And, and what are the practices and what are the, the things that I need in order to achieve that? So for instance, if I want to be a really present mom for my kid, one of the things that I need a lot of when I'm not with him is I need a lot of quiet. Um, I'm a very highly sensitive, very introverted person who really enjoys solitude. So that part of parenting a toddler is super challenging for me. So for me, self-advocacy looks like turning to my husband in the evening and saying, I'm going to take a bath. And instead of before for self-care, a bath might be like a special occasion. For me now, it's like essential life maintenance. And I probably take a bath like six out of seven days, 13 out of 14 days. It's now, in an, and now I don't actually have to advocate for it. I don't have to talk about it because it's just built in. I've set up the systems. So self-advocacy, it's a lot of upfront work in terms of like having the conversations with your people around like, this is what I need. And this is my new setup. This is my new boundary. This is whatever. Um, and then once you've set that up, then you can almost run it on autopilot. I mean, I don't suggest that you run anything on autopilot really, but it, it starts to take care of itself because you've set that boundary already. And hopefully you don't need to set the same boundary, you know, eight or 10 times with people in your life. If you, if you do like come talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> what a beautiful invitation. I am. Um, I really liked the terminology you used of essential life maintenance. Like to me, it just like instantly like conjures um, like pictures up of like, you know, like just like the maintenance we do on our cars or the maintenance that we do just so that they can continue to run. And I actually, I it's actually bringing to mind, I remember like years and years ago I was speaking with I don't remember if it was a coach or a spiritual healer or someone but they were just kind of communicating to me like you have to like you can't keep running your tank on empty like you know like you have to fill it back up again and I know that's like a metaphor that many of us are, are used to hearing now and but at the time it was the first time that I kind of think about myself like a car and and thought about the fact that like there are actually these these kind of like structures and systems that like our bodies are truly magnificent and I think are capable of so much self-healing but they also truly need our deep care and attention um and and I love this idea of like thinking thinking about the self-care not as the nice-to-haves and the optionals but as like truly essential for our own well-being and for us to be able to tap into like the truest most authentic version of ourselves yeah, I think there's this myth that self-care is supposed to be like really glamorous and sexy and like Instagrammable and all of that. And I, I'm like, I'm so sorry to disappoint you that like most of the most effective self-care you will do will be super boring and then you will be super glad you did it. And, you know, I think a perfect example is I've spent so much of my life like avoiding stuff. Um, avoiding making that dentist appointment, avoiding making that phone call, avoid like just trying to put things off as long as possible. I'm like a classic procrastinator. And for me, self-advocacy is really looking at myself and going, you already know what you need to do. Yes. Like watching another episode of Netflix is not going to make you feel better if at the end of it, you are still avoiding that thing that you're avoiding. And so sometimes I, I do these life maintenance days where my kid will be at daycare and instead of working that day, I'll just, this is in the before times, but I would just like run errands all day or call my insurance company or sort out that credit card charge, whatever it is. And, and to me, that was always so much more fulfilling than like a day at the spa because then I would look at my house and like that those bags didn't need to go to Goodwill anymore because they were already there. Those like, and things were kind of taken care of in this way that if you're only doing the kind of Instagrammable self-care, your life is still going to be waiting for you at the end of it. 
And that's not what anybody wants to hear. We all want to hear that like this bath bomb is going to solve all our problems and do our taxes, but it's just not. Yeah. (laughs) And it's cool that there have been more and more conversations around that. I think of like really blowing up this definition of, of what we think self-care is. And, and I know like for me, like, um, like a big thing for me in the last, in the last year has been, um, like really trying to get control of my finances in a way that like, like for a little bit since kind of being uh, self-employed and, and not having a full-time job anymore and all of that, like it was just kind of like, a, okay, it's going to work out eventually. <laughs> um, and now like, I'm like really like feel like I, I have my own little check-in dates and, and I'm like treating it as this like essential life maintenance to like be familiar, but also to find a sense of peace when I am like working with my finances. And it like, I totally get what you mean. Like that's the thing that I'm like, like, like it'll carry me forward for a week and I'll be like, wow, I'm so proud of myself. Like, and I feel like I, I feel deeply cared for and I'm giving myself that feeling of feeling deeply cared for, which I think is, is such a gift. And, and it's not just those moments. I think too, I think it's also that like sometimes, um, at least for me and, and my own work, um, I often find the other kind of like self-care that we sometimes underappreciate is actually just those like moments of connection with self, which you talked about, like the fact that we, we already know what we need inside of us. And sometimes we just kind of like fill up our, we, we kind of try and keep going and keep our mind occupied um, when what we really need is to slow down and stop and to like ask our hearts like what is it that you need and sometimes it, it really is nothing material at all but it's that we need to to show ourselves a little more compassion or we need to um, to think about something in a different way or to release to forgive someone you know and I think that is like another really valuable type of self-care as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, deepening your self-knowledge is really, for me, like the entry point to self-advocacy. Because when I had that moment in the shower, I didn't know what was going to come next. And that's part of what scared me was that it was the not knowing. And so I kind of had to strip it all down. And I was like, if I knew nothing about self-care, if I knew nothing about what that was supposed to look like, how would I construct it from scratch? And what would I be doing in my life to meet these needs that I'm having? Like what what, it, what, what even are these needs that are trying to get met? And, and so self-knowledge for me is, and kind of constantly being in dialogue and relationship with ourselves of like, what's here now is, is such a valuable, skill um, that I think it's just impossible to skip over that if we're really trying to do self-care, self-advocacy well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you talked a little bit about how if someone is kind of looking to switch to uh, an approach of self-advocacy, that they would start by reverse engineering, thinking about where is it that they want to be and how do they get there? And then that this next step is really about um, starting to have the conversation with the people in your life to communicate your needs and your boundaries and and what it is that you need in order to care for yourself well. And I think that that can be a, a, a part of the process that maybe feels really intimidating for us and, and feels unnatural is, is how to communicate with others when we're not sure how those needs are going to be received. I think so many of us are, um, uh, especially folks that are kind of drawn drawn to, to this work, might be people who are already you know, feeling like they need to care for others or that they need to put others before themselves or that they don't have time or that if they, they, they assert their needs, it's going to take away from what someone else needs. And so I would love to talk about like the art of having those conversations with our people. But even before we talk about having those conversations, I'd love to chat a little bit about what it's even like to kind of like to get ourselves amped up enough or ready to have those conversations because I think it can feel really scary. 
Yeah. And, you know, I work with a lot of people who I would describe as kind of classic people pleasers um, and people who either have some sort of deep calling to serve, that's definitely me, or honestly, so many of us have been socialized to believe that if we aren't taking care of someone else every minute of every day, that we're being inherently selfish. Yes. So I want to start by saying that if you have been taught that, that is a lie. And let's, let's, let's just blow that up immediately (laughs) because that's simply not true. That being said, I think that for so many of us, we've been taught that more is more and serving others until we drop is the only way to be of service in the world. And I just want to put it out there that like, I really didn't start taking baths with any kind of regularity until my kid was like about a year old. And I keep using this bath metaphor because, or this bath story, because I used to say that like, self-care is not just bubble baths or whatever. And now it's like a core part of my practice because I really investigated it. And it's like, this is the thing that keeps me well. It helps with my chronic pain. It is such a mental health balm for me. It is time and space and quiet. It's, it represents all of these things to me. And when I first did it, it really was like a special occasion. And I had this realization when I got out of the bath, I was like, looking around my house, I was like, oh, I took a bath and nobody died. Okay, interesting feedback. And so you can start with these little baby steps of try it out, see what happens. Did anyone perish as a result of your self-care? I tend to doubt it. And, and based on that feedback, you can start to take larger and larger steps and you can start to really build it out as, as a practice. But you don't have to start it by like overhauling your entire life and you know saying everything that's been on your mind for the last five years to every single person in your life. You can start really small and it might be uncomfortable, but I'm pretty sure that nobody's gonna die. Yeah. Yeah. And I cannot be held legally responsible (laughs) for that, but it's just my professional guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that, that I like, I really love this advice of, of, you know, like the baby steps and then seeing how it feels and like tuning into, to the feedback and like almost like, like a little research project where we're getting curious. Um, I mean, the name of this podcast is with heart and wonder. and, And part of that is about like, bringing a playful curiosity to, to our lives and, and to, to kind of thinking about like, oh, okay, like what is, what, what is the feedback that I'm getting in like my sensory body? What am I feeling that's happening inside of me and around me? And I think it's such a beautiful invitation there. And then when it comes to, I think like communicating and having conversations with, with others, and I so hear you about you know, you don't need to have all of the conversations right at once. But if there are some important conversations that need to be had, and and if those conversations, I mean, sometimes they are met with maybe more, uh, more or less understanding. And so if we're having to have kind of difficult conversations about our needs, what kind of advice do you have to offer? Yeah, so I think the first step is keeping it really simple. You don't necessarily need to get into a super involved dialogue. You can simply start with, I need to have a difficult conversation with you and it's uncomfortable for me. Or I'm feeling really vulnerable because I need to say something that I'm afraid might upset you. Like, keep it simple. And for me, the best place to start is always the truth. If I'm feeling uncomfortable about something, I'll say, I'm feeling really awkward about this, or this is kind of vulnerable. And and being clear that like, this isn't easy for you either. So it might create a response in that other person, but that doesn't mean that you're like gleefully trampling all over their feelings. It means like you might be having this experience too. And then 
potentially you all might be able to be in that space together where there's kind of a shared tenderness instead of you're not just like keeping all of your stuff all over somebody else. That being said, so I would say keep it simple, ground it in the truth. And I really have to say, I, I encourage you to be optimistic because I, as a recovering people pleaser, as, as someone who has martyred myself for a cause more times than I care to admit, what I will say is that so, so many people are, are really just looking, the people who love you, they're looking for a way to meet your needs. It, they may not understand what those needs are at first, but so many people are really waiting to catch you when you leap. And for me, asking for what I need is a personal practice that I will continue to evolve for the rest of my life because it doesn't come naturally to me. And yet I have been continually blown away by the reception that I've gotten from people in my life who I'm like, hey, I think this thing is coming up for me, or I really think that we need to collectively work on why. And, you know, without violating my family's privacy or the privacy of my, my dearest people, when I say, I would really love more of this, or I really need some of that, I am continually humbled by how much people are willing to give that to me. And so I think so much of this is just learning how to ask for it, how to put words to it for ourselves. And then again, we get this, this feedback loop, right? We're curious. I'm going to say this to you. I'm not sure what's going to happen afterwards. I hope that we'll still be talking. And so often the reception is like, oh, I had no idea. I'm so glad you told me. Or absolutely, let's work on that. And I, I can't guarantee it. It's not, it's not always a slam dunk because we're working with other people's feelings in addition to our own, but the grace that other people are willing to give us is often so much greater than the grace we're willing to give ourselves. And so if you're feeling intimidated, I would bear that in mind. Yeah. You said that so beautifully. And I think it's, it is really powerful to, to think about you know, our tendency sometimes to always expect the worst and to really let our fear take the driver's seat and to get curious about what happens if we we bring optimism into those conversations and that sense of hopefulness. I think that is is such a beautiful invitation. And if there's anyone listening who has kind of been thinking about a conversation that they need to have, I really hope that you hold Christy's advice in your heart because I think um, I also think it almost just like changes the energy of a conversation too. Like, I don't know what you think, Christy, but I think sometimes like when we go into a conversation and we expect that it's going to be really difficult, like our bodies contract and like we feel like, like maybe we're even putting a wall up or a little more on edge. But when we're able to go into a conversation from that tender, vulnerable, softer place, we're like inviting that in to be the thread of the conversation. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that there's another, it's, it's kind of a knock on effect, which is that when you do it, when you have those courageous conversations with other people, you are teaching people in your life how to do that for themselves also. Exactly. You're not just practicing it for yourself. I mean, I do it with, I do it with my child all the time. I'm like, wow, you're having such a hard, and like, we're able to have these moments of connection where I, I was sitting on my, this gives you like a real picture of my life. I was sitting on my kitchen floor the other day. It was like 95 degrees, which means it's like 95 degrees in our house. Cause we live in California and we don't have air conditioning in most of our house. And my kiddo came kind of like hopping on over and was like, came over and was like rubbing my back. He's like, you having a hard time? I was like, yeah, I am kiddo. Thanks for being there. And it's really, to me, it was such this parenting win of like, I have modeled 
how to have difficult feelings in front of him and to not have that be like a totally terrifying thing. Yes. And I think for so many of us, we were raised in households where big feelings, whether they were, honestly, whether they were good or bad, were often met with, um, with skepticism kind of at best and with um, disdain at worst. And, and really for me, it's every time I have one of these conversations, I recognize that I am putting more courage out into the world. I'm modeling that for other people. And, and really as somebody who teaches this work, I'm practicing what I preach. I'm, I'm you know, I do this for my students even when it's like the most uncomfortable, I'm like, okay, my students are counting on me. I can't, I can't fake it. <laughs> so, um, so it's really a gift that you're giving people by, by having these courageous conversations, even if it's super awkward for you. Yeah. I love that example of, of modeling. And I do think that is really powerful. And I've definitely seen that in my life, like how, um, how I will model the way that others have had conversations with me and then how others can draw on how I've had conversations with them. And, and it is this beautiful gift. I think that we're all kind of learning and and practicing with each other. I think of really tapping into our wholeness and our feeling and our emotional body and our energetic body in a world that sometimes doesn't doesn't appreciate all of those layers. I um I really want to talk about because I know um we were talking a little bit about this like transition that we're in towards fall right now and I mean definitely um I, I know you were sharing that you're someone who's really in tune with the seasons and and I know that I am as well and, and use kind of the seasons a lot in my work. <laughs> and um, and I'd love to chat about both this season that we're in in terms of moving towards fall, but also this like particular moment in time, which is such a unique moment in time in, in so many ways um, with everything that has been happening around the world with coronavirus and so many of us living indoors and in closer quarters also with with those that we live with or maybe we feel more in isolation um and and then also this um this really like rise that is is happening around the world um where where we're looking at how we can care for one another in ways that are more just and ethical and that take into account the the kind of systemic oppression that that is around us and in many cases has been there for hundreds of years. And so I would love to chat about kind of this this moving into the fall as well as this season of time and and to broaden this conversation around self-advocacy to talk about, and I know that, that this is part of your work, the relationship between personal and collective liberation. Big question. Yeah, this is, this is always a really interesting time of year for me. As I mentioned, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm also someone who... Um, in like the Chinese medicine conception of the world, like I'm very sensitive to wind and things. So moving into fall is always a little bit of a, a difficult time for me. I'm also somebody who mental health wise, I suffer from depression and seasonal affective disorder and all sorts of other delightful things. Um, and so I'm always really tender with myself at this kind of transition point between summer and fall and really mindful of what do you really need deeply in this moment? Because it is a moment of turning inward. It is a moment of going inward and, and potentially in the, in the best of circumstances, fall is a really amazing time to nourish ourselves really deeply as we move into winter where we rest really deeply. And, and so for me, I'm always, I kind of always have my feelers out of like, okay, what do I need in this moment? And how can I, 
how can I ease this transition for myself and really honor what I know about myself? I'm, I'm always kind of in the, in the process of like Christy proofing my own life of like knowing all of these things about myself and then like setting myself up for, for really great success based on what I know about myself. So the fall is always, always this moment for me of like deep nourishment, like lots of sweaters and lots of stew is like, and apple based baked goods, probably. Um, I'm staring at my apple tree right now. Um, I think we've got about four weeks to go before the apples are done. Oh, that's um, so fun. <laughs> I'm like staring at them being like, grow my pretties. Um, so that for me is, is really kind of what's up at this time of year is, is just that sensitivity to the moment. And, and I think we're in, in an unusual fall because I mean, first of all, between COVID and, and everything, we have been already in this kind of inward state. And a lot of us are like, I don't want more inward. Like inward is the last thing I want. I want my outward summertime, which at least in the United States, like we never really got it together to have a summer. Um, and, and so I, I want to honor the fact that we've already kind of been in this inward state for so many of us. And there is this kind of push pull of staying at home, shelter in place, social distancing and all of that. But it's also been coupled with a summer of, of really being called, I think in very appropriate ways to, to be outward and vocal and to rise up in the movement for black lives to, you know, dismantle and defund um, the systems of oppression, white supremacy, policing and incarceration that have been oppressing black people for centuries. And, and I think that that is a very appropriate call to action. I think, you know, it's, past time for us to deal with these things. And I think it's appropriate for us to be, you know, out in the streets, on social media, showing up in big ways. But it is this interesting kind of seesaw of global events, one of which is calling us to stay home and the other one, which is calling us into the streets. And I, I think that navigating that balance is going to be really different for everyone. Um, but I don't, but I don't think that there's, you know, I don't think that there's one way to do it. Um, but we are kind of called to do both at the same time, I think, very appropriately. Um, yeah. And so and, go ahead. And there's this question, I think, of like, how do we hold space for it all? Like, like, how right. do we, how do we just even just like welcome in and acknowledge the fact that, like you said, that there are these, these two different pulls pulling us in different directions and then like you said too like um like many of us may be feeling kind of like like whereas naturally in fall like if we look to the natural world is this idea of like starting to like prepare ourselves for hibernation and like setting up our mm -hmm. cocoon um but that that right now like we we've already been cocooning <laughs> and we <laughs> cocooning we, accomplished exactly <laughs> we like we like want to be out like seeing people and like in social presence and like and and all of the beauty and vitality that that like comes from that and so there is this like this this, this these different things pulling us in different directions and and it was so interesting because when you were just speaking particularly about the um the, the kind of dynamic of of being called to 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 be at home and to be um to be kind of like inward and and the slowing down energy um as well as this energy where we're being called to rise up and be present to to this incredible movement that is happening um for really the like you said the dismantling of of white supremacy and and I wonder even though recognizing like you say that like we are all and I think it's so important to recognize we're all going to meet this particular moment in time in different ways because we are all so uniquely different 
But it does make me think of that kind of um, the same push-pull relationship that we, we, we started the conversation around, like that feeling that you had years ago of feeling like you were bouncing back and forth between um, this life as an activist and, and the more kind of contemplative, perhaps inward life of, of yoga and spiritual practice and meditation. And I wonder if there are any kind of questions for inquiry or reflection that you might share in terms of helping someone navigate, like where is it that they want to be in all of this right now? Yeah, I think that that is, it's certainly going to be different for everyone. And, and at the same time, what I will say from my own personal experience is if you can stop the ricochet effect for yourself, or you're just bouncing back and forth, um, your life will be so much better off if you can find what feels like maybe not a still point, but a point of balance for yourself. Um, this is going to look different for everybody, like I've said, because um, we're all in really different situations. But finding that that kind of groove for yourself of here's what inward looks for me, looks like for me right now. And here's what outward looks for, like for me right now. And anticipate that that will change, but finding a starting place for yourself in terms of what would be a reasonable thing to ask of yourself. Um, what I've noticed over and over again, um, again, I'm like, I, I don't know how at 37, I'm like an elder statesman when it comes to like the activist world, but here we find ourselves. Um, what I've noticed time and time again, when it comes to folks who are just getting into activism for the first time, is that they tend to try to do too much too soon. And they try to spread themselves too thin. They try to care about everything at once. And so what I would say as a way to kind of honor fall, honor this inwardness, honor this moment is pick one area. If you are just finding your kind of activist footing for the first time, or if you're dipping back in, or if you're not really sure where to start, pick one spot and go really narrow and deep there. And if it's around the movement for Black lives, like maybe it's around Black maternal outcomes, maybe it's around Black mental health, maybe it is around, you know, decarceration and abolishing private prisons. Like it could, you could pick any number of places because white supremacy is so insidious and it's everywhere and it's in every facet of our lives, even when we don't know it. But pick one spot where you're like, yeah, this is really where I want to make an impact and go really narrow and deep there. Um, it will be so much gentler on your system to not have all of your energy flying in a million different directions and for it to go into one spot really consistently. Um, that's, I have a, I have a top 10 tips for activists, like cheat sheet on my website. I'll send you the link so that you can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Well, um, well but that's, but that's that. one of, that's one of my tips for sure is, is going really narrow and deep with your work. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful tip. And, and, and I think too, you kind of spoke earlier about, it's just this idea that like, we, like we don't always have to give 300%, but that it is in fact like way more sustainable to, to like, to, to bring it back a little bit and, and to be able to kind of, um, to, to create something where we're able to show up over time in like little but consistent ways and build from there rather than like going all in and burning ourselves out and having that ricocheting effect, that bouncing back and forth in and out of feeling like we need to recover. Um, Chrissy, it has been just like such a pleasure and I so wish we had more time because I would love to ask you so many more questions and, and to, to dive even deeper. Um, but I think that this is such a beautiful starting point for folks to consider um, some really important themes in, in their life around um, 
particularly around self-advocacy and and thinking about um, what essential life maintenance looks like in their life. And, and as we move into this fall season in this particular moment of time, like how, how one might go around about finding, finding balance. And so I'm so grateful for you and all of the stories and wisdom and knowledge that you shared today. And I'm just wondering as we wrap up today, if there's any kind of like words on your, your heart or final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with. Oh, I mean, I think that this is, this really is such a complex moment. And, and I know that there have been a lot of kind of words out there of like, you're doing your best and we're all just doing our best. And what I want to say is don't necessarily pressure yourself to do your very best every day. Like, Mm. let it be like a B, B minus and cut yourself some slack and and advocate for not holding yourself to impossible standards during an impossible time. Those are are such beautiful words and I think ring so true for me and and when I think of those around me. So thank you so much for for sharing them. Thank you for being here for joining us from California. It's been like such a pleasure to to chat and um, definitely for those listening reach out to me, reach out to Christy, let us know what you took away from the episode today. Um, Christy is on Instagram um, at Christy Tending. And is there anywhere else? And you have a podcast too, don't you? I have a podcast. It's called Tending Your Life because I love a good pun. Um, And I'm at ChristyTending.com. And you can take my Unburnout Unchallenge, which is a sweet little free email course if you are feeling burned out. And that is christytending.com slash unburnout. Amazing. That's incredible. Well, thank you, Christy. And I am wishing you such a nourishing fall season. Gosh, what a gift it was to have Christy here today. I know I am feeling really inspired after that conversation to do some self-exploration and some inquiry into what self-advocacy is going to look like for me this fall and if there are any conversations that I need to have with with my people, with those around me in order to really set myself up well and and to support myself. And I I hope you're feeling in a, a place to do the same. I do want to let you know that if you're listening to the episode this week, when it comes out, I am offering a free masterclass this weekend, Sunday, August 30th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it is all about bringing a compassionate approach to rest into your life. I am so excited about this this workshop, and it'll be an opportunity to to kind of think about, in some ways, many of the, the things we talked about today, but really how we bring in moments of transformational rest for ourselves into our our daily rhythms. So you can find the info for that as well as Christy's offerings that she mentioned in the episode description wherever you're listening to this. Until we meet again, keep living with heart and wonder.